Hold on, I'm sipping. Today is Friday, April 3rd, 2020, time for episode 107 of the Barnhart Podcast. Today is the, it's not the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, uh, it's the Feast of the Dolorous Passion, I believe. I just know that the, the Friday in Passion Week is, a, is especially do, or donated, um, commemorating uh, Our, Lady of, Our Lady's Sorrows and, and the, the Seven Swords of Sorrows that pierced her uh-huh. heart. And today is a very appropriate day to talk about the devotion to the, to our lady's tears and sorrows so that was, was submitted last week by um, a friend of mine who, who listens and he said you guys should really uh promote this and it just happens to be that it falls on the perfect feast day to talk about this so there's uh there's the seven promises that come about of from having the devotion to the tears and sorrows of mary and it's it's as simple as saying seven hail marys uh every day and and uh and contemplating and, and, and meditating on the, on the, the sorrows of Mary. And the, the, the promises are one, I will grant peace to their families. I mean, how many won't, won't just do it for that, that one right there, yeah, but indeed. they get better. They get better. Number two, they will be enlightened about the divine mysteries. I'll go for that. Yep. Yep. Three, I will console them in their pains, whether or not that's COVID virus. I don't know. I will console them in their pains and I will accompany them in their work. Four, I will give them as much as they ask for, as long as it does not oppose the adorable, the adorable will of my divine son or the sanctification of their souls. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. I mean, that's what I pray for. Yeah. Uh, number five, I will, pr- I will defend them in their spiritual battles with the infernal enemy, and I will protect them at every instant of their lives. I think every one of us at some point has come face to face with just how maliciously evil and deceptive and, and diabolically smart that the, the, de- the demons are. I mean, diabolically smart, of course. They're, they're pure intellect, so they are demons. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go for Our Lady helping <laughs> helping to protect me. Uh, what, what's the saying? That, that one look at, at, um, at, at, at the River Gov sent the, uh, the, the demons flying mm-hmm. uh, at, at the apparition of St. Bernadette. So, yes, Mary on your side, uh, the demons can't come anywhere close to you. Number six, I will visibly help them at the moment of their death. They will see the face of their mother. Mm. Mm. It would make it, you can see how it would be a lot easier at that point to have indeed a happy, holy provided death, which is of course the fourth glorious mystery. Um, the fruit of the fourth glorious mystery. The, the mystery itself is the assumption of Our Lady into heaven with its fruit being a happy, holy provided death. If, if you could see her, as in that moment when you were dying, oh, wow, that, that's, you, you just couldn't help but have a, a happy death. <laughs> it could, it, happy and holy provided means that you're, um, you're, you're confessed, you know, you've had the, the sacrament of anointing, you've maybe even had the apostolic pardon. I mean, talk about, talk about provided, but to be able to see her in that moment, you would be, you would be devoid of, you would be devoid of fear at that point. And it would be not just a consolation to you, but imagine the people that are around you, your family, whoever happens to be there as you're dying to see you die with that, you know, you're seeing her and then the people around you are seeing you and how, consoling and edifying it would be to the people around you um, 
to see you die that well. Ugh. Gives you gives you goosebumps. Gives you goosebumps. Oh, and the best one kind of leads in even beyond that. Number seven, I have t- obtained this grace from my divine son that those who propagate this devotion to my tears and dolors will be taken directly from this earthly life to eternal happiness since all their sins will be forgiven and my son will be their eternal consolation and joy. And talking about having a provided death, I mean, we just talked about that on the previous promise. You know, if you do need to see a priest for some reason, you know, Our Lady will miracle one there if she has to. It, it has been done where priests literally are grabbed and transported by angels because somebody with, with a devotion and who, who heaven has made a promise, and the other promise is kept. Um, but basically, yes, if you are, a, and St. Louis de Montfort goes over this, the, the true devotion to Mary, uh, if you are a true and devoted client of Our Lady, Uh, it's essentially a mark of predestination, not in the Protestant sense, but in the sense that Mary is not going to allow you to be harmed if you truly are are her client. And and she's not going to let the demons affect people who truly have love for her and spread devotion to her. And the more devotion you have to Mary, the more you're going to have for Jesus, the more you're going to have for the, the, uh, the Holy ghost, you know, the, the Holy ghost loves people who love his spouse. (laughs) So talk about having the um, enlightenment of divine mysteries. It all goes together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up, brought up Louis de Montfort because um, I did read Louis de Montfort. Um, and early on, was it before I entered the church or after? Maybe just after. Probably just after I converted and read Louis de Montfort and um, was taken aback and had to, you know, do some do some side reading and looking things up and making sure that, you know, I wasn't misunderstanding anything because he does talk about um, the predestination of the elect and he does talk about reprobation. And one of the things, um, and one, <laughs> it's, it's one of the things that, that very, very first got me praying the rosary. One of the things that St. Louis de Montfort says is that um, one of the sure marks of reprobation is a person who um, blasphemes and does not love Our Lady and has a revulsion to the Most Holy Rosary. And I read that and thought, ooh, ooh, you know, I'm I'm a brand new baby Catholic here. And naturally, the Marian devotion at that point was not even remotely, you know, and one hopes that one's Marian devotion only ever increases as the longer one lives, obviously. But being a brand new Catholic at that point, um, you know, it was not even, it was not even barely moving the needle relative to where it is now. And, you know, I'm 43 now. If I live another 51 years, as is typical for people in my gene pool, and get to be 91 or 94. Um, hopefully, my Marian devotion will only grow logarithmically, exponentially, however you want to you want to categorize it. As I faster forward. than coronavirus, faster than Corona cold. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, that I wasn't. I wasn't praying the rosary, et cetera, et cetera. And I read, I remember reading that thing. Oh, and, but then I, I, to the point, I was taken aback by his usage of the term reprobate and also the predestined, the predestined, the elect words like that. And then you, you, so I immediately just start looking this up and saying, well, he's, he can't be talking about the Protestant heresy, you know, and of course he isn't. And you realize that 
that terminology is used, you know, the if you're if you're reprobate, um, when when Orthodox Catholic saints, theologians, church fathers, doctors of the church, whatever, when they use these terms, the elect and the reprobate, I mean, if you're in the state of mortal sin, um, if you're in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, um, then you're you're reprobate, and it doesn't mean that. There's absolutely nothing you can do to get out of it, and God created you damned, and you're just, you know, you're just, it's hopeless, and there's nothing you can do. That's the Protestant heresy. Um, what what Catholic theologians mean when they talk about reprobate, it means that you're, um, that you're currently in the state of mortal sin, um, and if you if you died right now, it would <laughs> would not be good. And then you think about it. And especially as, you know, life has continued in the last however many, however many years ago that was. I entered the church in 2007, so this was not long after that. So how long ago was it? 10, 12, 13 years, something like that. And I look back now and just the experience of the last 10, 12, 13 years, however long. And sure enough, it bears out, you know, everyone I've ever met who ever dared say anything uh, nasty and express exp- and explicitly expressed hatred of the rosary. Um, well, let's just say it's it's not good. It's not good, and it's a really, really, really reliable indicator. You know, most people don't have any opinion one way or the other, and if they do, they probably wouldn't speak it or articulate it or anything like that. But boy, if you've got people who are actually verbally articulating hatred of the rosary. Um, yeah, that's you, you, run in the opposite direction as fast as you can. Don't look back. Don't ask questions. It's like, you know, remember Lot's wife, man. Don't, don't look back. Just get the hell out of there. And um, that's very, very true. And if you start praying the rosary, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it just, it's hard to explain, but it just keeps opening windows and doors of insight into just almost everything that happens to you. You're able, as I, I've talked about this at length before, you're able to take the events of your life every day, whether it's things that are happening on a micro level to you personally or whether it's things that are going on in the world on a day-to-day basis, it's both. If you pray the rosary, you're just you're you're um, in a sense pulling all the events of your life through the mysteries of the rosary, through the life of our Lord, through the eyes of Our Lady, all of these mysteries and all of their fruits, and it just opens these windows of understanding um, that clearly are not are not self-generated. They're not coming from your, you're not making this stuff up in your own brain. And um, I can testify to this over and over and over and over again. At a certain point, you can kind of start telling what what things that your, you know, your own brain is kind of organically and your own intellect, you're, you're figuring out for yourself. And then there's other things that you just say, where did that come from? I mean, how did, how did that nuance point 
get anywhere close to my to my noodle and my my rational intellect and you start realizing that the supernatural aspect to all of this is for real and the fruits of these things are for real and if you'll just do th- do this very very simple thing which is also by the way one of the reasons that the the rosary is so wonderful is that it is a proxy for the divine office so there's 150 psalms and if you pray the divine office um you're supposed to the way it used to be but of course before they before they radically changed it and the entire world subsequently went went to hell um all 150 psalms would be prayed over the course of one week it would take it would take the church in the office and everybody's praying the same thing and everybody's praying together would get through all 150 psalms the entire psalter in one week well the rosary is specifically designed by god and given to us through our lady to saint dominic for the benefit of the entire world so that everybody can in a sense participate in the praying of the divine office by this proxy mechanism of the rosary there's if if you think about it there's 10 hell marys per mystery there's 15 mysteries there's your 150 so each each uh hail mary within the context of the 15 mysteries each one of those is a psalm and so you're you're getting that you're tapping into that engagement of the divine office without necessarily having to pray um explicitly the office itself which is which is what works for the vast majority of lay people um so it makes it makes prayer of the divine office available in a certain in a certain way to a certain extent um to just normal everyday people and so and imagine you can get through if you pray all three mysteries um or all three sets of mysteries every day you're you're having that engagement with the entire Psalter in a certain supernatural sense every single day. Um, so not, not that the office itself isn't, isn't fantastic, awesome. And, and you should be able to do feel free to engage um, the, the, the office in full. There's, there's nothing keeping you from that. Divinium Officium is fabulous. You can, you know, have the the entire office right there. Um, it's a breviary in your in your phone that's just always with you all the time, and there's no problem. And all the texts are right there. There's no having to learn to flip back and forth and this, that, and the other. I mean, that's that's one of the things that's so great about Divinium Officium, both with in terms of the the office and the mass, is that they that's the flexibility that having it in a digital format gives is that they have because memory and space of of text is just essentially trivial at this point there doesn't have to be any okay now flip to this page okay now go to that page that you can just reprint absolutely every word every day in order and that's what they do um there's you don't have to do any navigation once you get into where where you want to be. It just lays it lays every syllable, 
in both languages side by side out right there in front of you. And it's, uh, it's just fantastically laid out and it makes it extraordinarily simple. Um, well, the only so, negative I can say, and, and I believe you're going through a web browser for that. There's not an app you're using. Correct. Correct. So that's the browser. only negative I can say is that you're, you're going to have your, have your data signal on with your phone, which also means that your phone is going to do bleeps and bloops and all the other things it does when it has a data signal. And I don't know if the full divine office is on there now, but it there's is, an yeah. app. Well, no, I'm, I'm leading up to something. There's oh, an okay. app called IPADA, which is written by a priest, actually. I don't oh. know if I've I don't know if I've mentioned this one before. Uh, for you iPhone, mentioned it to me privately. I know I recognize that you had me download the app. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Um, it, I can't remember who I'm saying what to these days. Uh, but it, it it works completely offline. In fact, I just verified it partially because uh, I was going to try to see if the Divine Office was there. But you were saying something where I felt like I needed to interrupt and jump in. But um, it, it works completely offline. And I, I can verify that because my phone is in airplane mode right now. So it doesn't make any noise, doesn't uh, mm-hmm. send out any radiation to interfere with the recording and all the rest. Um, and it's also nice that uh, in church I can pull up an offline copy because uh, the, the app is kind of big to download for this reason. But it pulls everything down. It's got all the readings for – it's got the, the, the new and old calendars, the traditional and the new calendars. It's got the readings in the Mass. That's new. It used to be just the Epistle and Gospel. And um, at, once we started doing the COVID quarantine, I pulled up IPADA when I was watching a live stream the first Sunday and um, was expecting to find the Epistle and Gospel to read that. And I, lo and behold, I see the whole Mass. I was like, oh, Father's been busy. And um, there's just an immense treasury of prayers as well. Every every litany you can think of is there. And if mm-hmm. you think of one that's not there, email Father, he'll add it. Uh, I would not be surprised if the entire Divine Office is on there as well. Uh, the Android version of it is a little bit different. It's free, but I think it's multiple apps. It just has to go has to do with the way Android works. It's it's a screwy combination of the way Google does things is just different than the way Apple does things. But it, it's a wonderful app, and I'm going to put that in the the show notes as well. Um, IPADA is I can't recommend that app highly enough. And yeah, for iPhone people, we buy apps. Don't you know? And, and the the money's coming to a priest, so just buy it. Or gift it to somebody who has an iPhone and you think they might like the app. I mean, it's it's a great app. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gift. I think yeah. that's how you got yours. I gifted it to you. You did. Indeed. Yep. So. Yep. But anyway, and can, the, I, can I correct your Latin too? Go ahead. I pieta. The accent is on the last syllable. Yeah, but I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay, so talking about talking about uh, chats that we have offline, uh, I've been I've been working on this website uh, LatinMass.live, and yes, I've been have. sending links well to been sending links to different live uh, live masses as they go live, and and uh, I don't know if it's you or somebody else made the comment, oh, American Latin, as opposed to uh, the one thing was the Belgian uh, live stream, or, or maybe it was the the fraternity's uh, live stream out out of uh, Czech Republic. You get these priests who don't speak English, and they say Latin a very different way, and it's yes. kind of interesting. It, the thing about Latin, um, if you have the chance to be around a an internationally diverse set at any point, the the thing that's really amazing about Latin is that it sounds like the language, the mother tongue of the person who's saying it. So when an American is speaking in Latin, it sounds like 
it sounds like American English. I, I imagine it must be what American English sounds like to babies, you know, that um, you don't you don't understand necessarily every word that's being said or you can only pick out one or two or you know one word per sentence or something like that like a little baby but it but it sounds like american english and when a french person ugh, especially the french are are reading latin saying the mass Latin sounds like French. And when Italians read Latin, Latin sounds like Italian, which makes sense because Italian actually is, you know, degraded pigeon Latin, basically, for all intents and purposes. Um, when a German speaks Latin, it sounds like German. It's the, it, Latin has this fascinating quality that it just, it morphs into whatever, into whatever language is the mother tongue of the person speaking it. And I, it seems to me that that doesn't happen with other languages, you know, and an American speaking French, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like American English. It sounds like, you know, an American butchering French, but Latin has this quality that it kind of just, it was just made to, to be this liturgical language. It was made to be this universal language. And that, that, that always fascinates me. The only example I can think of, write this down, we'll put this in the show notes, of Latin that just sounds horrific, absolutely horrific, is there's a clip of, I can't remember the cardinal's name, but it was whoever the cardinal was who offered um, a... a Requiem when JFK was shot and he was he he was the cardinal of Boston I, of the Archdiocese of, of Boston I believe um and he he said this mass at St John Lateran in Rome like 24 hours or 48 hours after after JFK was shot and um there's a there's an audio recording of it and it is it's it's just awful it's evil and what would this be this would be 1963 so you know you're in the throes you're in the throes of the council the the failed second vatican council wait so this is an american cardinal american cardinal with from this, boston from boston and so it, does he have like the southie like put the car put a quarter in the, in the park and, and go yeah, to the hobby square yeah, and get a soda, something like that. Uh, i can see where that would sound annoying butchering absolutely butchering it to the point where you sit there and you're listening to it and there's um videos on youtube and the 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 person has put the latin text in subtitles on the screen so because you can't you could not understand even if you knew the mass inside and out you could not understand what he was saying and every time i watch that i just i i honestly wonder about the validity of it because it's that bad it's that horrifically butchered um and then you realize and you know people make the point that everything wasn't you know rainbows and fluffy clouds and lollipops up until 1962 that there were there were really bad things going on and terrible abuses um, you know, 12 minute, 12 minute low masses and things like that, that were going on. And, and, and that clip of that, that horrible, horrible Cardinal, whoever he was, you, I mean, you know, that if he was doing that to the mass, that 
there had to be something morally wrong with the man. I mean, may God have mercy on his soul. And, and I, maybe it's completely uncharitable of me, but I, I'm sorry that you can just, you can tell by how, how a priest says mass is a good indicator of if there are perhaps maybe underlying problems and this is this is a clear case of that but it's the only time i've ever heard latin where it it was just it was evil and there there wasn't there was something very very wrong with the way it was being pronounced and said and it indicated potentially bad things that makes me wonder if an impediment to being ordained would actually be a speech impediment. I mean, if if you talk like Sling Blade on a good day, would that actually be an impediment to being ordained? That's, because that's if you a did, really good question. If you did Sling Blade Latin, I, I'm just thinking of some of the different movie characters who, even at their most clear points, you can't understand what they're saying. Is it necessary for the words of the priest to be understood as long as he is intending to say what the priest or what the, what the church says intends for him to say? I would say yes, but you know who this this question needs to be put to, and it's right up his alley, is of course Father Z, and I'm sure that we will do this now, and hopefully maybe Father Z will make a, um, a cross post on this, because I would have to say that yes, at a certain point, um, if if you had a speech impediment that was that bad, that it would be disqualifying. Yeah, I think so. Well, there's a phrase in, in scripture about uh, Moses having an uncircumcised tongue or, or uncircumcised speech. And that's why he wanted his brother Aaron to, to be mm-hmm. the spokesman talking to Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that what that, that ancient Hebrew phrase means is that he, had, he spoke with a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if the movie The Ten Commandments was done correctly, is The Ten Commandments? Which one? Yeah. Which, which were the with one Charlton has Heston? the one that has Charlton Heston playing Moses. That if it was done more accurately, Charlton Heston would be, would be playing Aaron and Sling Blade would be playing Moses. Yeah, it it makes you wonder. <laughs> and I've never seen I've never seen the movie Sling Blade. So if that's a horrible, awful movie, I have no idea. I'm just I've just seen the, the clips of, of the character talking, uh, and it's it it takes like one or two listens to actually understand what he's saying. Yeah. Uh... Does he? I don't know if you would call that a speech impediment. He doesn't have a. He's not the the sling blade character is not depicted as having a lisp or anything like that. He's just paranoid schizophrenic, I think. Um, well, like and, I said, and, I never saw the movie. And oh, this is the, uh, to all of our listeners in Arkansas. Forgive, but he's from Arkansas too, so he has that super deep Arkansas, probably southeast Arkansas type of a super thick American Southern drawl. Um, but he doesn't, he's not depicted as having a, a lisp or an impediment. The other thing Moses might've had too is, is a stutter perhaps. That's another question. Would having an intense stutter um, be disqualifying? I think the answer to that is no, because I have seen priests who do, who have a profound stutter and um they're they're ordained it was not an impediment so um i don't know so there's okay father z cross post question there you go yeah we did have a couple of notes that we wanted to talk about in the podcast but as usual we don't go anywhere close to those so we just talk well we'll about get we'll get to them eventually they're pretty important so <laughs> 
Um, let's see. Talk something I mentioned earlier uh, in, in context here. Uh, Latinmass.live. So if you aren't familiar with this project, you haven't been reading Ann's blog, but uh, I've done a little bit of work on this. Initially, it was just a Google document listing the the Latin masses I could find and then putting an email, hey, s- hey, send me in some more. And now I'm averaging like five or six a day. I think there were seven today. So it's going to be oh, growing nice. quite a bit. Nice. Uh, if there are any programmers in the audience, and I doubt, I mean, this is going to be a very precise question, but I, and I, I doubt anyone's going to know the answer to this one. If you have experience with querying the Facebook graph for video information and knowing when a video is live on a channel or a group, please email me. <laughs> I don't mm. I don't have an active account as a, as a Facebook developer. I, I can start one if necessary. But I, I was Googling around for over an hour trying to figure out how do you even query the Facebook graph to find this question. And the way uh, LatinMass.Live works right now is that there's a list of YouTube channels that it, it there's a, a program that runs every five minutes and goes out and just scans the channels and saying, is there something scheduled or is there something live on the channel? And and the results of that, that scan query gets posted to the front page, which is now automatically reloading every two and a half minutes. So if you look at it right now, um, the Institute of Christ the King in Chicago is doing Compline. And they don't pre-schedule that. So that doesn't show up in the upcoming items. It's just oh. when, when the channel goes live, it shows up. Another example of that is uh, during the week, 8 a.m., unless they change the, the time, which they're free to do, uh, Davenport, Iowa has a, a low mass. And that's not pre-scheduled on the stream. It just, when they go live, the, 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 app, the scanner application is running every five minutes. It says, oh, there's something live on this channel. Let's put it in, in the live list now. And when it's done, it just disappears. As opposed to, say, the SSPX stream out of Phoenix, they're pre-scheduled out for like a week and a half. So you see a whole bunch of stuff showing up there. Mm-hmm. And, and um, that's, that's how that's working at the moment. It's only looking at YouTube feeds. Um, I have not gotten any emails yet saying, why aren't you linking in live, livemass.net? Um, I've already been in contact with those folks, and uh, I'm going to. Uh, the next phase is uh, streams that are not YouTube, and they publish when they're... The word is events because that's how calendars work. When mm-hmm. the, when their events go live, uh, I'm, I'm go- I have an access. I have the ability to read their their broadcast calendar as they update it. It's going to be the same thing as me reading it every five minutes, see if something changed, and it's going to be able to go on to the list of here's what's upcoming. But the problem is since I don't have an API to them, and you know they're doing they're doing uh, sacramental work. They're, they don't have time to drop what they're doing and write me an API. Um, application programming interface is what that stands for in English. Uh, something that my program can look at and say, are you still alive or not? Uh, so so there's, there's some interesting questions. So when a mass goes live, do I say 30 minutes afterwards now? I say it's, it's not live anymore? I have no idea because unlike the YouTube feeds, I'm just looking to see, are you live or not? And when mass is over, it's over and then I can drop it from the live list. Uh, so if it's, uh, where was it today? Maybe the Belgium? feed they they did mass then they did adoration and then they did uh prayers and times of pestilence and they did some other prayers as well so the low mass feed was on for well over an hour which is not how long low mass takes it's about 30 35 minutes so the these these considerations like you know i have to figure out what's the reasonable amount of time to be saying it's still going so yeah but but after that i need to figure out how to query vimeo i've looked into that as well it's a little bit harder um there's a uh, Benedictine or Carmelite, I forget which, a monastery in Tasmania. Just got the, the, the info on them last night. 
they have a feed that goes out on Twitch, which um, I don't know if one of the brothers used to be a gamer, but Twitch is, is a video streaming platform that is extraordinarily popular among gamers, but anybody can use it. And I need to figure yeah. out how to, how to do that. So it's, I, I'm now beginning to realize that there may be a problem. What do you do when there are so many items at the top of the page on the live and upcoming? How do you limit this? How do you make the, the site searchable? I didn't, oh, th- I didn't think Oh, what a terrible that- problem to have. <laughs> I d- yeah. It, Let it, us pray for that day soon. Yay. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to be a problem, but it, it was also one of the projects just for my own sake. We all, we all know academically, and if you've listened to more than one of these podcasts or at least one of them all the way through, you know that in the wrap-up, we talk about join your intentions with the priests who are, well, in this particular case, the priests who are offering the, the masses for hands benefactors. Mm-hmm. But also in your morning offering, you join your intentions with the priests who are offering the mass throughout the world. And mm-hmm. right that minute, right that second, assuming you actually say your morning offering in the morning, but let's just say for the sake of argument, you wake up at two in the afternoon because you have an overnight job, I don't know, landing planes for the air traffic control or whatever. Mm-hmm. At that moment, there's a mass going on somewhere. Academically, we know that there are masses going on everywhere. And so at any point in time, you can close your eyes, join your your thoughts and intentions and with the with the priest who's offering the, the holy sacrifice somewhere in the world and make a spiritual communion and then go on with your day. It's because we are flesh and blood and frail, uh, things we can't see, it's hard for us to have faith. We're all Thomases in this respect. So if you can go to a website, click on one of those links at the top that has a little red live next to it and see the mass actually happening and know where in the world it's happening. Right. That's that's slightly different because you can see it at that point. You're engaging the senses. That's how knowledge mm-hmm. comes in. We, we're not angels. We can't just intuit things over uh, without distance being a problem. When we can see it, it's more real, yep. even though it's no less real that we can't see it. So well, from, from my selfish perspective, that was one of the things I wanted to get out of it from me. So, Well, and I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this up because this is kind of turned into a raging debate right now. Um, the thought being, no, no, all this business of all these live video streaming masses, this is bad because now people are going to... Th- are going to think that this is exactly the same as physically going. And if, and when this situation um, lifts, this quarantine situation lifts, people are now going to stop going to mass because they think that they're, it's just as good to stay home and do it. Um, This is a nuanced question. It is, it is correct to say that watching a video stream is not going to mass you are you are not phys- you are not going to mass it can help you make a really good spiritual communion and in this situation obviously it helps you what you're doing when you do that let's say that you've got your missile and you sit in front of your your screen and you're watching a live mass streaming what you're doing is a dry mass um, and there's there's tremendous benefit to praying a dry mass but it is a dry mass. You are not at mass. You're, you're just in a, um, I think it might be fair to say that you're in an, um, an augmented dry mass situation, but you're not actually going to mass. 
um, think about it this way, EWTN, for years, from the very beginning, they've been showing mass on TV for the benefit of shut-ins. And I mean, nobody had a problem with this. Nobody was saying, oh, that's terrible. Now people are just going to watch the EWTN mass instead of going mass. No, nobody ever made that critique. It, it's obvious what the intention is here, you know. Um, it, it is it is wonderful to be able to see the holy sacrifice being offered as, as, super, as super Nerd just went through using this technological paradigm that we have. And it's a great consolation to people who can't go um, for whatever reason. And now, unfortunately, almost no one can go anymore. There's only, there's only, I reckon there's only maybe a few hundred lay people of which I am one, which is a miracle in and of itself who can, who can still hear mass every day. Um, so nobody ever, nobody was ever mad at Mother Angelica for putting the mass on television or anything like that. So, but you do have to, you do have to maintain that intellectual line in your head, and make sure that you understand that I am not, I am not going, going to mass here. I'm praying a dry mass with vis, with visual augmentation, thanks to, thanks to technology. Um, the other thing is that people are gonna. There's the the thought that maybe people will will start. For example, uh, people love to watch the Mass in Rome because, you know, the church is so beautiful and the altarpiece is so beautiful and it's Rome and isn't that cool. So people will start choosing to, I'm, j- I'm just going to stay home. Let's assume that this all lifts and things get back to normal. I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to watch the Rome Mass online instead of going to my local church, which is um, a, a dumpy, converted, Protestant, old Protestant church that was begrudgingly given to um, whatever community by, by a bishop. And, you know, it's, the, the church isn't pretty, and it's, you know, wait, a church. Wait, wait, hold on. You mean you'd, you'd rather watch mass that's taking place in a former pagan temple where they had human sacrifices 2000 years ago rather than in a local go to a local former protestant building what's the former pagan temple oh the the former pantheon it, it's oh yeah, yeah 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 there, there, well. se- there are several converted uh former buildings and some of them are gonna have to be reconverted again like the hagia sophia and, mm-hmm. and others but uh there, there were several repurposed buildings uh, throughout time, uh, Saint Vincent Ferrer, we've mentioned him on the podcast. The, the, uh-huh. It was said of him that the, it was a miracle when he didn't perform a visible miracle. He he was so persuasive as a speaker, a speaker, a speaker, a speaker, pre- <laughs> a preacher who speaks. Yes, he's very good. <laughs> Here I go combining words on the fly again. Uh, he was he was so good as a preacher. He'd go into a, a Jewish temple and he convert them all, and they uh-huh. end up converting that Jewish temple into a Roman Catholic church. Nice. Yep. So they'd keep going to the same place. It, well, S- Sundays now instead of Saturdays. But, um, but it, it, again, the whole idea of repurposed buildings is not a new thing in Catholicism. In um, in the city of Florence, one of the most famous churches right in the middle of the of the town is was the old grain, like the Chicago Board of Trade Grain Exchange. It was it was the grain exchange, and can you can you imagine this? This cracks me up, and this this story is is you know, near and dear to my heart, obviously, because I was a futures broker. And I, I read about this and I think this is absolutely amazing. Can you imagine, can you imagine the grain traders in Chicago all getting together and saying, guys, 
we need to tr- we need to turn this building into a church. We're all going to take up um, a collection to pay for the best artists in the world to come and decorate this thing. But we we this this space clearly has to be turned into into a church for the worship of God. Can you imagine the, the, the grain traders in Chicago? And no, not all of them are Jewish. In fact, a lot of them are Catholics, ethnically, um, getting together and doing something like that. But you know, that's exactly what they did. It was in, it was in the medieval times. I don't, I don't remember which century, but that's exactly what happened in the city of Florence. They turned their grain exchange into a church because they just couldn't stand to have that building and that piece of real estate with that location not being used as a church is just, it's astounding. And it contains some of the, it's one of the greatest collections of sculpture in the world. Um, yeah, but just, that speaks to the Italian genius of making things beautiful. I mean, even, mm-hmm. even, th- even things like a granary, it probably wasn't like an American Midwest granary. That's just a concrete silo. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the silos that I see along I-70. How hard would it be to turn those into chapels? But no, the, for the Italians, no, a, a grain silo has got to be beautiful. You know, <laughs> oh, they've, they've, got a certain, they've got a, ver- a certain uh, sense for everything has to be beautiful, yeah. even, even if the function is mundane. I mean, look at their cars. They don't work, but they're beautiful. Yeah, their their cars don't run, but they're beautiful to look at. And you know, we Americans, we also have a sense of this because look at, for example, um, the school buildings, the city halls, the courthouses that were built before the middle of the 20th century. Um, let's see, what beautiful school buildings did I go to? Um, my elementary school was new construction, so it wasn't pretty, but I would have to go to gifted class once a week, and that was at a different school. That was in an old school. And that school was beautiful from the outside. The junior high school that I went to was originally built as the high school. And then, of course, they built the new high school in 1960, which was an ugly monstrosity. Um, But the old high school, which then became the junior high school that I went to, it was architecturally pleasing. It was that, you know, brick. Everybody knows what the old American schools used to look like. They were they were quite architecturally beautiful. And of course, now they're tearing them all down right and left because we can't have anything beautiful. But even we Americans have engagement with this idea of architectural beauty. Um, but again, getting back to the whole thing of the mass, it's I mean, yes, I can absolutely see how it could be a temptation for some people to say, well, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to watch that mass in Rome because that altar is so beautiful. Um, and you know, these Italian priests, they're, they're saying the Latin better than, than, you know, so-and-so at my local church and whatever, whatever the excuse could be, or you could, you know, any number of reasons why you could decide to be snobbish and, and not go to your own local mass. No, 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 Don't, don't fall into that for the, for the love of God, literally for the love of God. If you can go to mass, go to mass. And I I mean, I've been saying this for years. I've been railing about this, you know, people sending me emails for years and years and years and years. And there's, there's no mass anywhere close to me. What should I do? And, you know, the, 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 the reply is one word. It's, it's move, move. Um, and now everybody's kind of getting an idea, I think, of what it was that I was talking about. And one of the reasons 
I'm absolutely convinced that I am in a position where I still get to go to mass and hear mass every day and get to and have adoration every day is because I have been begging God in petition number, was it petition number six after mass, the church militant is visible. Please, God, always allow me to be able to clearly see and recognize the true church militant, and please keep me within easy walking distance of daily traditional Latin mass or divine liturgy. And that that is being miraculously that is being miraculously answered for me in real time. And now I've started, you know, making sure that our Lord understands that yes, I realize that I am asking you for something that you are miraculously answering in real time as we speak right now, but I keep asking you for it because I want it to continue until I die. Whether that's next week or um 50 one years from now, whatever it is. Um, this, this petition does not expire, and I have organized my entire life, um, most especially since, um, since going to live in the van down by the river. Everything, everything has had as, everything in terms of real estate has had as priority, essentially number one, have to be within easy walking distance of daily mass. It's just any anything else is incomprehensible. And I've made I've made that a priority and I've done it for years now. What's it been? Good grief. It's been seven years since I went to live in the van down by the river. And I've made that a priority. Everything has revolved around that. Um I've spent I've spent more money on rent, obviously flanagling and making sure that I was in within easy walking distance to, to daily old mass. And now in this situation, it, it, our Lord is, is, is giving it back. You know, he's, he, he it says in scripture that he'll, he'll give it back to you a hundredfold. And so that, that, that whole commerce, that exchange in a certain sense is now coming to fruition. So and we just pray that it continues like this as, as long as possible. Obviously, we pray that that the situation loosens up and lifts for everybody and that the maximum good come out of this and that, and then everybody after this will have this intense appreciation for being able to physically be there now that the ability to be there has been taken away. Um, and I, I do think, I, I already see it. I see it in my email box. I see it in chit chats with with friends, friends and contacts that people are genuinely realizing um, the gravity of, of of not being able to physically go, not being able to physically go to mass, not even being able to physically go into a church and kneel and pray before our Lord reposed in the tabernacle. So let maximum good come out of this. Um, you know, and that's that's how the divine providence works. Um, putting aside for a moment the entire question of what what in the hell is this corona cold? Is this is this the greatest, uh, the largest psychological operation in human history? Yeah, I think it is. Um, it, is is this an actual true pandemic? Uh, well, it's a pandemic of a of a chest cold, and it has exactly the same 
profile of behavior as any other chess cold. Um, you can even just put that aside for a moment. What, let, let's let's just for the sake of argument, put that to the side and say this is a genuine, honest to goodness, um, dangerous to everybody pandemic, um, physically dangerous to everybody pandemic. God always makes the maximum he can make he can make good come out of all of these things. Um, and but this this also leads into a very important point, um, and that is that you know we have to make this this distinction between god um permitting things to happen and um and the whole notion that in this situation that this is this is him inflicting a punishment um you know obviously the listenership knows knows my position i just went through it that i i think that this is all a psychological operation um and that corona cold is just any other any other species of of mutated um it's a it's a newly mutated form of what we have all called our entire lives a, a deep chest cold uh and most people just totally shake it off um so this whole notion that this is some sort of a punishment that was that is being positively inflicted, willed and inflicted upon us by God directly. I really think that that is not the case. And I think it's incredibly important to understand this. People are often confused about the whole notion of um, human beings, rational intellects, anybody who ends up in hell, ends up in hell by their own free choice and completely unnecessarily. And there are people just, there's a lot of people who just cannot comprehend that. Why would anybody choose hell? Why would anybody freely choose to go to hell? People look around you. That, that's exactly what this is. This is a freely chosen, completely unnecessary um, de facto cultural suicide, utter destruction of the economy, utter destruction of the culture, the ability to worship God. I mean, every day that they keep going stronger and stronger on the propaganda, they're now telling people that this thing spreads and you're Hitler and you're killing everybody just because you breathe. Um, they're now telling people even within your own home, inside of your own home, you should isolate yourselves from other human beings. That is your family inside of your own home. Um, the, they're just pushing for the absolute ma uh, total catastrophic purgation of charity. And we see this in scripture. This is our Lord said exactly this would happen. Matthew 24 verse 12 and because iniquity hath abounded, and <laughs> drag queen story hour, uh, sodomite marriage, we could go on and on about iniquity abounding. And because iniquity hath abounded, the charity of many shall grow cold. All of this is driving, driving, driving towards getting people to just purge fraternal charity 
and ultimately, you know, um, the chair, the love of God as well. But primarily, the primary vector is trying to get people to purge charity. You have to stay away from everybody. You can't talk to anybody. You have to be completely alone and, and isolated. And what what really uh, frightens me, in the sense that I'm ever frightened, but what I can see coming um, is that even when this lifts, there is so much psycho-spiritual damage being done by this that when this lifts, people are not going to go back to going and sitting in restaurants or, you know, engaging in human activities. Um, People are going to be now, there are people that are going to be so psychologically damaged by this, psycho-spiritually damaged by this. That's where all this fear-mongering comes in. People becoming, um, developing obsessive-compulsive disorders. Um, you know, the hand-washing and, oh my gosh, every time you leave your house, as soon as you get home, you have to immerse your shoes in Clorox take off all your clothes, immediately throw all of your clothes into a boiling hot um, uh, washing machine, wash all your clothes, immediately jump in the shower, bathe every time you leave the house and come back in. Guys, that is that is insanity. That is insanity. The only time I've ever done that protocol is when I've been cutting poison ivy. Yeah, exactly. Um, people, well, I, I want to jump in on some other point there. You said, yeah, you, you, mm-hmm. you don't think that this is an example of something that's being, um, positively inflicted on it's God giving us up. He's giving us up to our own stupidity. Yes. Well, that's I, what I, think. I, I think multiple things can be true at once. You, you talk about the, the, the COVID cold, which, you know, expo- you know, it, it tells you what you think of, of how serious this is. And I have mm-hmm. no idea how serious it really is. I don't think it's as, as serious as the worst case examples. But it's also giving us a chance to see just how serious everybody else is on certain items, like the bishops, like the priests. Are mm-hmm. they going to stonewall everybody about the sacraments? Oh, you can only go to confession in case you're dying. You really think you're going to get there in time? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's a massive wake-up call. In, in, in a sense, it can be a huge blessing for all of us who are, you know, we're all sinners, and we talked, I think we talked about this on the last podcast. If you are addicted to a certain kind of sin, it's going to give you pause when you know that you cannot go to confession mm-hmm. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And maybe you need to really take seriously the fact that amendment of life is a requirement. Yes. Before you get uh, uh, absolution. I don't know if you want to link this one in the show notes or not, but um, Father Isaac at, at, at the... Um, uh, the Fatima Center gave it mm-hmm. gave a, a a lecture. He's doing a lot more of this now because he's he, he can't travel and they want him doing more videos. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was talking about something I've mentioned on the podcast. In fact, recently, um, it's kind of hilarious. It's, it's saying the same things almost. Um, but he he was saying that um, Saint Alphonsus Liguori teaches that if you go to confession and confess the same mortal sin three times in a row, that whether the priest gives you absolution or not, it doesn't work anymore. Because you have to have the amendment of life to reform, to avoid the occasion of sin and near occasions of sin. If you are, I don't know, let's say let's say you're uh, an inveterate drunk, and you cannot help but stop on the way home uh, to pick up a, a handle of whiskey and and drink the darn thing. And if you can't stop acquiring the the going into the near occasion of sin 
If you can't drive past the place or take a different route home, you're not showing that you really want to get over the sin. And uh-huh. even if the pre, even if you're confession hopping and going to different priests who do, who don't recognize your voice and saying, you've been saying this for several times in a row now, this, the sin is not on the part of the priest at this point. If you don't really intend to give up your sin, yep. the it's, it's an invalid confession. I don't know if it's a sacrilege at that point. You'll have to, you'll have to ask that specific priest or ask that specific question to a priest. But the point is that your sins aren't being forgiven. Just because the formula is taking place, you have to bring not only the matter of your sins, but also the intention of not committing them again. If you don't have that second part in your confession, whatever the priest says and whatever he intends and whatever language he gives you absolution, it doesn't matter. Well, and the thing to remember about confession, you're like, who's your confessor? Well, <laughs> Christ. I mean, it's it's always Christ. Um, you're always confessing to Christ. And I think a lot of people, and this is a this is one of the ancient critiques of of Catholics in general. Um, and what I heard a lot when I was growing up is that, you know, Catholics are notorious for this. They just go do whatever they want to do Monday through Saturday, and then you know, go, go and make their confession on Sunday, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, you cannot trick Christ. I think that there are a lot of people who really have this legalistic mindset. There are some people who, who freely admit to it. They freely say, I am going to live my life and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to receive the apostolic pardon on my deathbed. And then Christ is going to have to let me in. Uh, well, you know, you, you might receive the apostolic pardon on your deathbed, but nobody is putting anything over on Christ. Nobody. Um, you might come down with COVID-19, get sequestered in a hospital where they aren't letting priests in and you won't get the last sacraments. That's right. You might not get them at all, but rest assured, folks, rest assured, Christ is not tricked. He's not gamed. He is not legally manipulated. And if you think, if you think that you can get away with that crap, um, you clearly have no idea who Christ is. Um, You clearly don't care anything about him. You don't care anything about what your sins do, did, have done to him the suffering that it causes him, um, and you know today being being the feast of of the seven dollars of Our Lady. Also, what it what it d- did to her. This is the point of the feast today. How much she suffered as co redemptrix. Which, by the way, anti Pope Bergoglio today or yesterday? Uh, today, I think in his um, his morning. Um, spewage his morning homily that he does he once again once again um denied that she is the co-redemptrix because he's he is probably the false prophet foreigner of the antichrist um and what i'm gonna take a wild guess in saying he's not saying the seven hail marys in honor of the dollars and tears of our lady uh yeah i don't think so especially when he's explicitly um speaking against the notion that she is the co-redemptrix. Remember, she's not the co-redemptrix because because she's equal. She's the co-redemptrix because her fiat at the Annunciation was absolutely required for for um, 
the incarnation and therefore the salvation, uh, the reparation of the salvation, uh, A-R-S-H, Anno Reparate Salutis Humana, Year of the Reparation of Human Salvation. Um, the reparation of human salvation was completely dependent upon her saying yes. So, you know, obviously God is infinite, infinite, but she is the co-redemptrix because she has that, that peace. She is the new Eve and she has that, that participation that it all pivoted on her saying yes. Um, and so, yes, she is the co-redemptrix, even if, even if the, the set that she is a part of, which we'll call redemption, even if that set is infinitely large, which of course it is, her yes is contained in those brackets. If you know anything about mathematical notation, her fiat is inside of that bracket. And so therefore she is a participant in the, the redemption of mankind. And therefore she is the co-redemptrix. She's not a 50-50 co-redemptrix, but she's co-redemptrix. Um, and so just remember that you cannot game him. You cannot game God in the confessional and that whole and making light of it. And, um, you know, I used to run with an unfortunate group of people who thought that, you know, certain quantities of blasphemy were just hysterically funny. And one of the things that they would joke about all the time is they would say, yeah, I, I went to confession and. Uh, the priest told me that I should I should stop using the F word. And then they would all chime in at the same time. Well, F that, except saying the F word and laugh. Um, and you just, you hear things like that and it makes your blood run cold. The, the sacrament of, of confession is, I, I am hard pressed to think of, an instance where you would be making a joke about that because it is, it is one of the gravest things in all, in all of human existence. Um, going and being raised from the dead, going and being liberated through the blood of Christ from, from your wretched sins. Um, I'm just, I'm really hard pressed to think how you could make jokes about that and it be, and have it be appropriate or even morally neutral in any way. Um, so, you know, there's another indicator. If, if you're hearing, if you're around people who make jokes and mock, um, I, I was unfortunately tangled up with a person years ago who would, as a joke, come out of the confessional immediately kneel down and whisper to the people beside them, hey, hey, gotta love the sacraments, off scot-free yet again. They, This person said that to me more than once. And it both times, it my, I just froze and my blood ran cold. And the thought then occurred to me, I, th I think that probably invalidated that person's confession. I mean, if you're, if you're making a joke like that literally five seconds after coming out of the box, what that means is that you were probably planning to make the joke before you entered the box or while you were in the box or whatever. You were thinking about making that joke and I'm going to be witty and I'm going to be funny. Ha <laughs> ha, gotta love the sacraments, off scot-free yet again. 
that is so blasphemous. It just, there aren't even words. And I, I really think that that person is in extraordinary danger of having those confessions being invalid and, and God have mercy on them if they confessed any mortal sin. Um, well, just, even if they are super witty and came up with that without any you know, prior thinking about it, I mean, some people can come up with stuff off the top of their head like that. It, it still belies the fact that they don't take seriously what yep. just happened. Yep. Either that Absolutely. or they, they're, they're being very flippant about something that's very sacred and, and very serious that just happened. And you made the comment earlier that, you know, when, when we go to confession, we're making our confession to God. And the example that I've heard before is the priest is a telephone. His function between the function of the priest between you and God when you're making your confession is like a telephone. Mm -hmm. And if you're using a South American telephone, maybe the connection is not so good. Yeah. If, you're using a, if you're using a Japanese or South Korean telephone, it's crystal clear. You can hear people four apartments over and what they're saying. <laughs> uh, so it really it, there there is some merit to saying the confessor has a little bit of a of a, of a, of a effect on how well your confession goes. Definitely try to find somebody who's well formed. Uh, oh, yeah. Somebody who's going to start asking probing questions like, is this the first time you've confessed this? Mm -hmm. Have you confessed this in the last three times you've gotten confession? Um, mm -hmm. You may not like the consequences, but I'll tell you what, it's a lot better to get that kind of consequence now than from mm -hmm. the divine judge at your particular judgment because there's no recourse at that point. It, it, it's yeah, a massive, you're locked in. It's a, yeah. it's a big blessing to get a confessor who's going to kick you in the teeth and, and tell you that your confessions for the last X number of years or whatever, as long as you've been doing this particular sin, are invalid. Mm -hmm. and you've got to reform your life or you will go to hell. Mm -hmm. That might be a surprise to some people. And it's better to hear it now than at your judgment. And I, we need to make a precision. Um, I don't want people listening to think that if you've confessed the same thing thrice, for example, that you're done, that you you are reprobate, you're going to hell, there's no way you can get out of that. That That's not what we're saying, and that's not what St. Alf Alphonsus was saying. What St. Alphonsus was saying is exactly what Supernerd just said. If if you confess something thrice and you don't and you don't reform, um, what that's what that says is that those confessions that you made before are probably could be invalid. Um, it's not to say that it is not possible for you at that point, after having confessed something thrice and not reformed your life, it's not saying that there's no hope for you in the future or hope for you in this moment right now. But what it is saying is that um, you, you are in serious, serious danger of, um, of dying in a state, in fact, of unrepentant sin, even though you've been to confession, because you have not had You've clearly not had the purpose of amendment that you should have had, um, but don't don't take it to mean that it's hopeless. You're done. You're finished. I mean, in this day and age, with with the the horrific addiction to pornography that so, so many people have, um, I don't want any listeners out there to think that you know. Well, I've I've been to confession three times and I've confessed you know self abuse three times. <clears throat> I guess I'm done. No, no, you're not done. But you need to get serious about amendment of life. And what St. Alphonsus was saying is that 
it doesn't sound like you have been particularly serious about amendment of life, but you can, you can keep going. And I think, I think the, the imagery of three clearly comes from our Lord's three falls. Um, and, you know, one of the things that having access to a church and you can, you can pray the stations at home, obviously, but it's, it's, it's wonderful to be able to go into a church and pray the stations and make, you know, make the, the micro pilgrimage around the interior of the church to each of the, each of the 14 stations. And I get to do that most days as well. Um, and so I think the imagery of three is, and the standard of three is from our Lord's three falls, um, prayed in the stations. So just remember that there's, there's always hope. I mean, you're never up until the moment of your death, but there's always hope, but that, that contrition and that purpose of amendment must be there and it must be real. It must be sincere. This, this legalistically gaming Jesus Christ. I mean, you've got to be just a, you've got to be so detached from any sort of a personal relationship with him or, or, you know, any sort of, of, of genuine piety. And that's the other thing. There's a lot of talk right now, you know, um, of trying to use piety at the word piety as an insult, as an accusation of mental instability. Um, I, there was one person that was actually calling people psychopaths because of their piety for wanting to go to mass because you're going to murder everybody. If you, you know, you're a walking disease vector. So if you go to mass, you and your stupid, you and your stupid, piety you're you're just your narcissism and your psychopathy is killing everybody um piety is a virtue and it's something that we should all all be striving to increase in well and um, specifically you go to the traditional mass and i would imagine the turnover in terms of the people who come and go from the traditional mass probably aren't that great and the reason i bring this up is think back to when you were going to school in grade school high school Usually it was common within the first two weeks of the beginning of the school year, everybody gets a cold and comes down with something because you're around a whole group of people that your immune system isn't used to. Mm -hmm. If you go to the same traditional Latin mass every week and you're around the same people who have seven, eight, 10, 12 kids each, no matter what colds they've got, you've been through this Petri dish before. It's only a problem if, it, if the population is constantly changing. Well, it's that, not, that's a great point. It's yeah. more likely to be a problem. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just using a little bit of common sense. Well, that concept, and I'm glad you brought that up, and we'll put this in the show notes too. That is the concept of herd immunity. And there, I read a really good piece. It was in the Spectator something. It was published anonymously by a physician academic in New York City, associated with an Ivy League institution, had to publish this piece anonymously because it would have, you know, it's going against the the groupthink, and this person would have clearly been risking their entire career. This and this person made the extraordinarily good point that this whole business of locking everybody away, this is this is counterproductive because the way humanity cycles through and works through any um, any new pathogen, virus, anything like that, is herd immunity. Why do you think the Spanish flu, the true 
pandemic of the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919. Why do you think that passed? Why did it stop? Because enough people got it, then had antibodies to it, and herd immunity of the entire human race because it went all around the world as these viruses tend to do. And there's frankly nothing you can do to stop it. Um, this whole notion that we can we can stop a cold virus from spreading is the is hubristic. It is the hubris of man to think that it's even possible to limit or control the spread of these things. And this this. Uh, Physician academic, I mean, they wouldn't give their credentials anything beyond that. Might be an epidemiologist, we don't know. He's saying, look, this this business of, of locking everybody in their homes, this is counterproductive because this is just slowing down the ability of herd immunity to develop. Um, we should be we should be wanting, frankly, as many young healthy people to go ahead and get this thing and and have the antibodies develop as possible. It's not going to kill. It's it's killing just exactly like influenza and other cold viruses. It kills people who are already very, very sick and have severe comorbidities, are very elderly, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get this thing out. It's like, um, you know, we, we talked about this, I think a couple episodes ago about with chickenpox and things like that, how you you know, back in the day when I was a kid, heck, you wanted everybody. If someone in, in the school came down with chicken pox and the parents were just like, all right, here we go. Here comes the chicken pox. Here, go go share a lollipop with little Susie who's got the who's got chicken pox broken out all over her. <laughs> just go ahead and do it. Let's let's get her done, you know. Um, and that's that's exactly the point with herd immunity in this. Locking people in their homes with the hubristic notion that you're going to eradicate this thing. Oh my God, it, it, it's it's insanity. Oh my goodness, it's insanity and hubristic insanity. Get her done, man. I'd be I'd be sprinkling coronavirus on my pasta like Parmesan cheese if I could. Bring it. Um, who knows? I might have had it already. I had a thing in February. Who, who the heck knows? I've had correspondence with multiple people saying it is conceivably possible. I was, you know, someone say I was flying, I was traveling, I was in California, I was here, I was there. Who knows how long this thing has been around? Um, it's, I think, I suspect it's been around quite a bit longer than any of us suspect. Um, yeah, uh, it's possible I've already had it. And if I haven't had it, I kind of, in a certain sense, hope I, hope I get it. And, you know, I'll, I'll develop the antibodies to it because I'm not a 9,000 year old chain smoking Chinaman, you know, um, I'm, oh, and I'm also not a sodomite man who's care, who is perpetually in a state of low-grade infection with um, Staphylococcus aurea, which apparently has a dynamic interaction with this thing um, that makes it worse, which is why we keep seeing report after report after report of, oh, this this perfectly healthy, robust 40-year-old man in Miami died of, of Corona cold, but it's okay, y'all, because he died in the arms of his husband. Uh, uh, yeah, and it just keeps going like that. 
report after report. Oh, he was such a fan of figure skating. Oh, okay, I understand. Oh, the Hamptons is exploding into a hot spot. Yeah, you know why? Because all of the rich sodomites from Manhattan are going and renting houses in the Hamptons, and they're all a bunch of they're all a bunch of corporophilic, uh, corporophagic. Uh, sodomites who are constantly infected with staff and things like that. Yeah, no wonder. No wonder. So there you go. Well, there's also the element, too, with the whole urgency to lock down and make sure people don't get infected. This is also a denial of, of the spiritual reality that, that uh, human beings are immortal. We don't live for this world. We live for yep. the next. And people who don't believe that, either implicitly or explicitly, or either out of ignorance or out of malice— they're going to see this life as all there is, and therefore, you better lock down. You better stay away from me. Don't yep. don't take away my opportunity for for uh, joy and, and pleasure. And don't shorten my my uh, my my, uh, my fun. Don't be a buzzkill because this is all I've got. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I am. I am struck and somewhat puzzled, but not really. At what we're seeing, especially amongst Trad Inc., with this this just abject terror, clearly an abject terror of death, and you say, "Well, Anne, that's weird. Aren't you afraid of? Aren't you afraid of dying?" Like, well, you know, we're all we all have a, a built-in, God-given, obviously good desire to maintain, perpetuate our own life. We don't want to die. You shouldn't life. Life in this world, life in this corporeal body, is the great is a, a gift from God, you know. And you shouldn't. It, it isn't. It isn't suicidal to not be afraid to die. Um, you're not gunning to die. You don't. You're not suicidal or anything like that. And but you've got these trad ink people who are just absolutely terrified, clearly, clearly terrified of death. And I'm just like, where, where is that coming from? What, what is that? And I, I mentioned the, the stations of the cross and that I, I'm able to pray the stations of the cross most days. And I have this little prayer book. Um, it's, it's old, it's early 20th century. And, um, let's see if I can find them. Uh, let's see. The Nihil Obstat and Imprimatur is uh, 1940. Okay. 1940. So, um, the stations are really beautiful. Um, let me find the one especially, uh, it's the second station. Um, Jesus is made to bear his cross. And th this is the little, um, this is the little prayer reflection in my little prayer book. It's very beautiful. My most beloved Jesus, I embrace all the tribulations thou hast destined for me until death. I beseech thee by the merits of the pain thou didst suffer in carrying thy cross to give me the necessary help to carry mine with perfect patience and resignation. Now listen to the conclusion. I love thee, my Jesus, above all things. I repent with my whole heart of having offended thee. Never permit me to offend thee again. Grant that I may love thee always, and then do with me what thou wilt. Every uh, station ends with that. And then grant that I may love thee always, and do and then do with me what thou wilt. That abandonment to the divine providence. Um, and then there's another one that speaks specifically about death. Let me find it. 
do 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 Okay, here it is. Uh, the fifth station, um, Simon the Cyrene helps Jesus to carry his cross. My most beloved Jesus, I will not refuse the cross as the Cyrenean did. I accept it. I embrace it. Now listen to this. I accept in particular the death thou hast destined for me with all its pains. I unite it to thy death. I offer it to thee. Thou hast died for love of me. I will die for love of thee. Help me by thy grace. I love thee, my Jesus, above all things. I repent with my whole heart of having offended thee. Never permit me to offend thee again. Grant that I may love thee always and then do with me what thou wilt. So specifically asking Jesus and and saying, I accept the death that you have destined for me, whatever that is. And if it's, if it's Corona cold or if it's getting hit by a bus or if it's being executed in the public square, whatever it is, um, this, uh, this notion of being abandoned to the d- divine providence and, and accepting your cross. And it, it really strikes me that a l- that, that understanding is, is nearly absent in this fear mongering that we're seeing, even, even among you know, trads or pseudo trads or trad ink or whatever you want to call them. I mean, terror of death, uh, a complete unwillingness to even, even countenance suffering of any kind. I mean, where, where, where have you been? I mean, where, where is, where is the rosary? Where is the mass? Where is, uh, any sort of a prayer life, anything. And it just, I, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's really indicative. It's really indicative. I wasn't expecting you to come to such an abrupt ending. Um, I want to make it. <laughs> well, it's just speaking about um, potentially um, potential death and dying and being hit by a bus that, that kind of had a, that had an interesting double meaning. <laughs> uh, kind of killed the conversation too. Uh, what, well, like I said, we've got all kinds of notes to go on, and there was something else I was going to say. I don't know if it was about confession or something else, but I think we pretty much have covered those topics. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do we, have we pretty much covered everything for the for this podcast? Well, let's see. Let me look at my little notes. Um, live, all of that. Um, f- oh, that they're now saying that. Um, so breathing spreads it. Um, it causes brain damage. Uh, I'm How can you tell in a lot of cases? Uh, exactly. I mean, where where is this data coming from? You know, they claim on in one breath that they don't have any any kind of sufficient data set about anything. There's no there's no vaccine. I mean, we're just in the early stages of this. And then, like in the next breath, they're saying, "Well, you know, we've got this, this, this. It causes brain damage. We know this." But da 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 da. So, oh, this is this is the one. 30% of the tests that come back negative are false negatives, they're saying. How in the hell do you know that? How do you even know that? You claim that you don't have any information and it's way too early to have any information. And then in the next breath you say, oh, but we know that 30% of the of the negative re- results are false negatives. So now look what they're trying to do. They're trying to set up this perpetual feedback loop of doubt in people's minds that you, okay, so we had, you're the, asymptomatic carrier for three weeks. Um, 
Now it's, you're spreading it just by breathing. Um, it lingers on surfaces forever. I mean, I mean, are they now to forever? Because at first it was, you know, X hours and then that wasn't good enough. And then it was X days and then it was X weeks. Are, have they just declared the virus completely indestructible now? Um, the only way you can um, get rid of the virus is to boil things in, in pure bleach. I mean, it's, it, it just keeps going. Now they're setting up the feedback loop that even if you've been tested, even if you've been tested, you're still probably positive for it because 30% of the negatives are false negatives. So you probably have it even though you've been tested and the test was negative. I mean, so it's why just- not, So why not just go get it and get the natural immunity from it? And yep, if, and exactly. If you, and if you end up being more, I don't know, hard affected by it, go to confession first. Yep. If you can. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that an- 88 year old diabetic go gunning to get it. But someone like me, if I haven't had it, I hope I do get it within, well, not, you know, this year. I hope I get it. I'm not recommending an 88 year old diabetic to get it either. But then again, if you're 88 and you're a diabetic, you are so far past the odds. That is true. Yes. <laughs> you're beating the odds. Um, I mean, you, you know, you read the list of these comorbidities and the. Good grief, these people, that and th they're assigning it to everybody that they possibly can, whether they test them or not. You know, um, politicians are coming out and saying, yeah, every, everybody who's who's died. I read a story about an Italian mayor of a of a relatively smallish town came out and said, well, we we just know that everybody who died in the town died of died of Corona cold. And you're like, what a scientific method? what no um, it's it's a budgeting method there's a friend mm. of mine who works for uh, the u.s army corps of engineers and uh, his one of his assignments that just came up it's like drop what you're doing you're going to work on this they're going to he's going to work on a project where they're converting to a hospital a former hospital that had been shut down mm -hmm. and one of the questions i had to him was like so is this coming out of the regular budget or out of the six trillion that just got passed for corona response and he said, uh, good question, probably the latter. And every place in the world, I mean, especially, I would imagine the EU, they've got their massive boondoggle budgets going everywhere. If you can point to a death and say, yep, that was that was uh, definitely COVID-19. Uh, it was a head-on car crash. Yep, it was COVID-19. Yep. Okay, whatever. Okay, so you get the emergency funding to pay for it or something. You know, all, all the original... Uh, you, you end up not spending your original budget and you get all this surplus from the largesse of we have all these trillions of dollars that we have to spend in the next 30 days because, oh my gosh, COVID-19. Well, then everything has to be blamed on COVID-19. Uh, this, this computer project failed because of COVID-19. We need some bailout money. Yeah, exactly. Why not? And, yep. It's, it's follow the money. And uh, Candace Owens, just a few hours ago before recording this, She's ferocious. I'm I I was vaguely aware of who she was um before, but you know, I've been kind of watching some of her stuff and she's she's formidable. I I like her. She exposed just a few hours ago um the who is it the the governor of Connecticut came out and said, "We've had our first we've had our first corona death and it was an infant. The infant had a, died of covid related da da da." And people who were involved and were on the ground there with with the tragic death of this baby 
contacted her and said, this is straight up bullshit. This child died of, of an accident. And to, to maintain the family's privacy, she didn't say what the accident was, but she made the analogy that it would be like a baby falling into a swimming pool and drowning. And then what do they do? They test the dead body. They test the, the child's cadaver. And lo and behold, who knows where the child has been, certainly taken to a hospital, which what are hospitals? They're like concentration points for all of these viruses and flus and colds and everything else. Um, that's why they're called hospital-acquired infections. And hundreds of thousands of people every year in the United States alone die of hospital-acquired infections. Why? Because, you know, it's just Petri dishes. It's a bunch of sick people rolling into one place. You can't stay on top of it all. The people are already compromised either through illness or, um, you know, just being elderly and their immune systems are in the, in the process of shutting down. So there's the hospitals are just filled with this stuff all the time. So this child dies in this tragic accident, is presumably taken to the hospital. Then at some point later, they say, oh, you know, quick, do a, do a corona test on it. And I guess the, child, the child's dead body tested positive for corona cold. And so, of course, even though this child died of a straight-up accident that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with corona cold, what is that? What does the gov the governor do? Goes on television, and said we've had our first death, and it was the death of an infant, and just throws all people with with infants into a panic. Oh my gosh, my baby's gonna get it. Da 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 da. da. And Candace Owen says this this guy should be made to resign. Well, um, I'm sorry, but resigning isn't isn't nearly enough. Um, I'm of the opinion that this is probably, and we're just in the very very early days of this. And it's already clear that uh, of the level of economic damage is, is unheard of in human history. And we're just at the beginning of this. This is probably going to end up being one of the single, one of, if not the greatest single crimes against humanity and crimes against peace ever perpetrated. Um, we're talking on the level of, you know, with the world wars, um, all of that. What what is the punishment for this? That someone should have to resign? Uh, no, that is not what the punishment for crimes against humanity and crimes against peace on a level unseen in human history. That's that's not an appropriate punishment. And uh, sadly, I think that before this ends, it's it's going to come to it's going to come to force of arms, and it's going to come to having having to remove people from power in the most permanent way that there is. Um, and I have did, I don't think I told this story last week because I think it happened since the last time that we we um, we recorded a podcast. but I ha I received a message from a longtime reader, longtime listener to the podcast, very, very nice person, good person, but I received this message that says, Anne, you're all wrong about this. This thing is absolutely horrible. My my child, their spouse, and all five of their children had this thing. They were gravely ill. It's one of the most horrible trials that our family has ever been through. And thank God they're 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 now recovered. And I look at this and I say, huh, 
that's interesting. So I message back and I say, I would really like to hear more about this. When were they diagnosed? If they're if they've already recovered, they must have been one of the earliest diagnoses in the entire country. The fact that all five children had it and were gravely ill with it, that's that's unprecedented. That's absolutely amazing. So you've got both parents plus all five children simultaneously stricken with this. Um were they were they on respirators? How long were they on respirators? How long were they hospitalized? Because, you know, they were gravely ill, and this was the biggest trauma that our family has ever been through. And I ask questions like this. Um, how did the children react to being separated from their parents while the parents were, were hospitalized in ICU, whatever it was, on respirators, who was making the legal decisions for the treatment of the children, et cetera, et cetera. Have you been contacted by the press? Because this is a this is this is an incredible story and this is incredibly newsworthy. Um, both parents and all five children, and this thing just hasn't been touching children anywhere. And yet this entire family was simultaneously stricken. And of course, what does the message come back? I think uh, probably a lot of you listening know exactly where, where this is going. The message came back and long story short, these people had had a cold in their family. And, you know, they cycled through as happened. Super nerd. I, I know that this in the in the years that we've been doing this now, I know that on more than one occasion that some bug has just made its way through your family. And it just, you know, every person in succession gets it. And okay, who's in bed with a fever today? And it just takes a while for it to cycle through your family. These people had a chest cold go through their, or the flu go through their family. And yet this person, and this is not a bad person, this is a person of goodwill, but this person in this, in this frenzy is now going around and trying to tell other people that that their their children that their child spouse and all five of their grandchildren almost died of this thing when in fact it, it was absolutely nothing of the kind nobody was hospitalized it was nothing like that they just had a bug go through their family and it was all handled at home and i think i think they said that one person, one of the seven of them were tested and it came back and, and it was positive for Corona cold and somebody, the doctor's office or hospital or whatever it was said, we might be interested in taking some blood, um, for antibody purposes, which is what we've been talking about in terms of her, herd immunity. So again, just reemphasizing, this is not a bad person, a person of goodwill, a dishonest person, but there is this temptation in situations like this, and you're going to see this and be on the lookout for this, that people are going to start getting into a competition to see who has the most horrific, traumatic Corona cold story. Um, a, a person in my in my personal life and, and sphere that I move in. Um, I received a message earlier this week that their 88-year-old grandmother, who lived alone in a rural area, was found dead in her bed. And so I immediately organized to have a requiem said, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, this woman was declared to have died of corona cold. 
like, well, but wait, tested? Uh, were there, did, did grandma tell anybody that, that she was sick? I mean, you would think that if, if, if someone was dying of acute respiratory distress from something like this, that, that you know, grandma would have, would have let somebody know. No, she was found dead peacefully in her bed. We, but we just know, or the state just knows. Everybody just knows that she died of Corona cold. Well, no, actually, you don't know that at all. 88 years old, heart attack, stroke, how most people die, you know, and, and found peacefully in her bed. Um, you know, and of course, I didn't, I did not engage in that conversation at all. This is just all rhetorically on my, on my side because, you know, the person's, the person's grandmother had passed and the family was in mourning. And all I, the only communication I had with them is here's when the requiem will be said. Um, you all should, you all should gather together in prayer as much as you can. And for at this hour, this is when the, the seven day requiem mass will start. And it was, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And so glad that I was able that this lady who, you know, I never met in my life, but I was able to secure for her a black vestment specifically for her intentions, seven day, seven day requiem. Um, But it's going to be this competition now everybody's going to have to have a story about it. Everybody, you know, is going to almost have died from it. Oh, you're going to hear a lot of that. Um, So be on the lookout for that and just understand that and know how human nature works and know how people are. It's the same thing. You know, it was funny. I anticipated that um, you would see emergency rooms and all these facilities absolutely overrun with the likes of Honey Boo Boo Mama, who has a sniffle and a, and a 99.8 degree fever, um, rolling into emergency rooms and demanding to be admitted. And I stand corrected because, again, back to Candace Owens, she started a hashtag, which is a topic on Twitter called um, Film Your Hospital. And I posted on this. And you can still go to Twitter. It's taken off like, like crazy. People are going around and they're saying, wait a minute, you turn on the television and it is just 24 seven propaganda that every hospital is filled to the, filled to the brim, every emergency room, there are lines out the door, everybody is overrun, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have yet to see any video documentation of any of that anywhere in North America. Oh, even better um, than that. I, I was listening to um, another podcast, of, and what I've mentioned many times before, the No Agenda podcast. Mm-hmm. They pulled up a, a set of, of uh, audio clips from uh, from the media about um, you know uh, hospitals across Louisiana are, are bursting at the seams and, yep. and uh, all this other stuff. And then they pop it once all this collect this montage is over. They said, "Yeah, this was two thousand eight." Yeah. Or they're showing footage from hospitals in Lombardy, Italy, you know, where they're, where they do have a bunch of people. There's, there's nowhere there in New York city. I mean, you know, Cuomo or de Blasio or both of them or whoever is going on television. Oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. We got people dying right and left and people are going to the big major hospitals in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, um, wherever, 
and standing there outside and what the hell's going on? And we're, we're, we're hearing about, oh, we're good. We have to triage against the elderly. This cracks me up. So we, we have to destroy the economy because this thing goes after and kills the elderly. But we simultaneously fully admit that we're triaging against the elderly. So we have to destroy the economy to protect the elder, elderly who we are actively triaging against. Welcome, welcome to the post-Christian West. Welcome to the complete absence of any sort of rationality at all. Um, yeah, so Candace Owens, God bless her. She started this thing on Twitter and there's just, oh, P, um, ambulances. Ambulances lined up, sitting there, idle, Drivers sitting, you know, in in the ambulances, playing with their phones, you know, nothing to do. I, where where is all of this? It, the fact of the matter is, I think this is the biggest psychological terrorism operation by far in all of human history. I think that's what we're seeing. And God has given us up to our own stupidity and it is completely unnecessary just as the damnation of any human soul is freely chosen and completely unnecessary. And with those who have eyes to see, it's plain to see. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, but if you're following the mass media, then you're going to be led to believe that you should be buying into the hype machine. So. Yep. The, the people who, like like you mentioned before, who, who thought that they were gravely ill and there's something definitely to be feared. Well, if you're watching the news and that is exactly the message that's been going on nonstop for the last month or however long, yep. you might start seeing false positives around you. In my case, I've been listening to podcasts that pull out the... Um, some the, the the clips that nobody plays on the media, like uh, uh, Anthony Fauci mentioning that uh, anytime you have uh, an epidemiological study or, or a, a, a computer model on something, you're going to come in with the best case scenario and a worst case scenario. And usually it, it always falls in the middle. He's mm-hmm. never seen once that the best case or worst case scenario was the actual scenario. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and when they start talking about, you know, millions of people dying in the United States, that's the computer model saying this is the absolute worst case scenario. And speaking of computer models, what other major we're going to try to reshape civilization thing is going on based on computer models? Oh, anthropological global climate change by any chance? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And all all the same people too. All the same people. Exactly. And, And if for the listeners who are older than Anne and me, you might remember that in the 70s and even the early 80s, they were saying that by the year 2000, we'd all be dead by the new global ice age. Ice age. Then in our generation, um, in the 80s, when we were school children, it was every tree, the last tree on earth will be cut down in the year 2000. And then in the late 80s, it was the ozone hole. Nobody's going to be able to go outside because you will you will instantly explode into pustulant skin cancer because there won't be an ozone hole. Boy, that just, no no pun intended, but that evaporated, didn't it? (laughs) When was the last time you heard anybody say anything about the ozone layer, ozone hole, any of that? And then of course, they they hit the jackpot with um, anthropological climate change. So now if it's hot, it's because of human 
activity. If it's cold, it's because of human activity. If it if it's dry, it's because of human activity. If it's wet and flooding, it's because of human activity. Literally every day, if you have non-San Diego weather, which is sunny in 74, if it's anything outside of the San Diego weather window of you know what we all consider to be basically perfect ideal weather, it's it's the fault of humanity, and there must be there must be government intervention to to um, protect us all from um, human beings destroying the planet. And anti Pope Bergoglio and the anti church are fully on board with this, et cetera, et cetera. Then the the other thing, did I tell the story in the last podcast about um, the the mad cow disease and the guy who was emailing me and telling me that I was murdering the entire human race because of mad cow disease. I don't remember. Okay. Then I didn't. All right. So Christmas Eve, 2003, never forget it. So I'm a commodity broker. I was a commodity broker. The the markets are open on Christmas Eve, but they close early. And it's usually at it was, you know, when there were actual markets, um, there it was always a, a very quiet day. It was very quiet. But, you know, me being low man on the totem pole and unmarried and all of that, you know, no kids to to be buying presents for, spend time with any of that. I always, always worked on all the, the holiday, the holiday days. Um, always worked uh, the day after Thanksgiving, all that kind of stuff. So that the people with families could be with their families, obviously. It just makes sense. And so, Christmas Eve 2003, you think, okay, this is going to be a really quiet day. Christmas Eve 2003 is when the news broke of the first animal with um, mad cow disease, actually called bovine spongiform encephalopathy, was found in Washington state. It was a dairy animal that had been brought across the border from Canada. And so they kill this thing and they test its brain and... um, it tests positive for mad cow disease. And it was the first one in the United States. So the markets freak out and it's Christmas Eve. Um, So obviously the futures open limit down. There's no futures trade, but the thing, the way the markets work is that when the futures are locked, the limit options have no limit. So the options kept trading and you could kind, and you could kind of um, extrapolate by where the options were trading what the market was pricing in and it was pricing in you know the the price of cattle dropping by 30% or something like that i mean just a massive massive move a massive loss in uh, in value and so uh this so this was christmas eve 2003 so throughout 2004 i'm getting these these emails these hate emails because i already at this point you know i was being my name was out there. I was quoted by Reuters routinely. I was quoted in the Wall Street Journal. I would get, you know, they would call me and I would give little market commentary blurbs on the cattle market. So my name was out there. Um, and I also, I had launched my my very, 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 very first web, which was barnhart.biz, <laughs> believe it or not. Barnhart.biz, I believe I launched in October of 2003. And I was writing and putting commentary and that that already had taken off because I was writing, you know, interesting commentary instead of just the normal, completely boring boilerplate. Oh, and I also would post um, classic country music songs. So again, that that made my blog take off within the cattle industry like overnight. Um, so I'm writing commentary. My name's out there. I start getting these hate emails from this guy saying, 
I worked in a packing plant. You're a murderous bee, and, you know, using the the B word at me. You are a mur- you are a murderous psychopathic bee because um, every animal that is killed in the United States is contaminated. Um, anyone who eats any ground beef anywhere in the United States is eating mad cow disease and every nursing home in this country is going to be filled to capacity within five years of everybody is going to be dying of mad cow disease. And it's your fault. And you're telling people that, you know, beef is, beef is still safe and, and you are a murderous bee. And I would just get multiple emails per day from this guy. And you know, you file all this stuff. You always keep everything, always keep everything. Um, and so I start basically Google stalking this guy saying, who is this person? What the hell is going on here? And of course, what, what is revealed? He was um, a mentally ill man, probably paranoid schizophrenic, who had worked f- for a packing plant. He had worked in a packing plant and had been fired, probably because he was a paranoid schizophrenic. And, um, he was, it was his mission in life, therefore, to completely destroy the entire meatpacking industry. And so he was, and he actually got for like five seconds, he got a little bit of traction because he was making enough noise that, you know, somebody quoted him or something and, you know, oh, this, this guy's a whistleblower or something like that. No, no, he was just, he was a guy with an ax to grind and an agenda and was also mentally ill. And so you say, oh, okay. So I've kind of been through this before um, in a certain sense of, you know, this whole notion of false, false pandemics and you're, you're killing everybody and everybody's going to be dead and everybody's going to get mad cow and the entire country is going to collapse. Well, you know. Same song, second verse, except this time they've they've got the power and they've tricked everybody into going along with this. And now, even now, in the early, early days that we're in, was this April 3rd, April 3rd, where, <laughs> believe me, if, if civilization doesn't completely collapse because of this, months from now, we're going to look back and look back at this episode and say, oh my gosh, we had no idea we were just in the very very beginnings of this. And we're already, how many trillions are they saying that this, this is cost just the total economic shutdown trillions and trillions of, and they just keep printing and printing and printing heaven for Finn that we should do a jet, a debt Jubilee. No, 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 don't do that. Just print more money. Uh, You just shake your head and say, Oh, well, but that's what we soon need to do a financial episode and talk about things like how do we unwind this? What is a good that could come out of this? And one of the big goods that could come out of this is that this could actually force a debt jubilee, which is which is, I think, most serious people um, at this point realize that that's going to have to happen. The only question is on a scale this big, what is the, what is the deflationary aspect of that going to look like? Because this is, it's never happened before, not on this level. Um, and well, so we've mentioned before that one of the sins of the United States is uh, usury. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wouldn't it stand to reason that if nations have to, um, have to pay their dues in this world because there's no next world for nations, 
that all of this usury has to be unwound. And if yeah. it's all if it's all been inflationary, then it would stand a reason that a massive deflationary bubble should have to take place. Yeah. And the way that happens is a jubilee. So, but we we all have so little experience with the concept or the, the real, the lived experience of any sort of deflation because we've lived our entire adult lives in a bubble. It's It's just been one unceasing bubble for our entire adult lives. And so... There are, there are really not very many people out running around who can really give any sort of accurate uh, forecast or description is a better word, description of what, of what a jubilee-based deflationary action would look like on the ground. I mean, what would be the consequences of that? So um, it's something we... We all need to read up on, and then we'll do a we'll do a quote unquote financial Friday episode, if for no other reason, just so that we can use the absolutely spectacular intro music that that Super Nerd put together for the financial Fridays, and for which I have permission from Fox Media to use. That's right, yay! <laughs> Although I wonder if that's Disney now because. They acquired all the Fox media. You know what? Let's not worry about that. Well, you, you know what? They they can come and get us. <laughs> There's a reason they, I keep all the original recordings before I put the music on. So just yeah. in case I have to have to rip that back off. Just in case. Uh, yep. you know, so you mentioned Debt Jubilee. I haven't thought about that before, but I have heard. I remember back when the Euro zone was about to crash. I don't know if that was. I don't know if that was 2008 uh, or with, with the financial crisis back then, but I remember there being something with the Greek prime minister who was elected making noise about declaring all of the debt of Greece as being odious debt. Yeah. And there is, I think that, that was 11, 12 because that was, con- that was um, concurrent with the MF global thing because the MF global thing was brought on by the fact that Italy's interest rates spiked to 6%. And I think the whole Greek thing, I think it was um, concurrent with that. So that would put it, MF global was November of 2011. So I think that was all happening in like 2012. Right, but there's a legal term apparently that when you declare debt to be odious, you're mm-hmm. saying that the previous administration incurred it in bad faith or illegally, and therefore it's absolved. Yeah, and and it was it was a signal to the potential debtors, like or the the, the holders of the debt, you're either going to refinance this at, at advantageous terms, or we're going to declare it invalid. Which mm-hmm. of course then that would have put in that while well, that point Greece is part of the EU that could have dragged the whole EU down. And so yeah. the Germ- oh, yeah. the Germans aren't going to let that happen. Um, they don't exactly want to bail out the Southern countries that I, I think the EU is going to break up in a civil war. That's the, that's the only well, way it's going to end. The, the new term that I'm going to be referring to the EU as for the duration is the fourth Reich, because that's basically what it is. Um, you know, who, who, who is running ultimately the EU, a very good case could be made that it's Deutsche Bank is running the EU. And so let's just call this thing. Let's just call it what it is. You know, Hitler had the third Reich. Well, this is the fourth Reich. Well, isn't the Uh, ECB based in Frankfurt? Uh, yes. Yep. And then the government, the governmental seat is Brussels, but yeah, the bank is in Germany. Who cares where the, where the diplomats are? Where's the money being printed? Follow the money. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, you want to you want to call it a show? Yeah, we've gone off the rails enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we we could probably keep following tangents for the next hour and a half, but we're at uh, an hour fifty four already. So 
We should probably wrap and, it and up. And I think Super Mommy is probably looking at her watch too. So <laughs> no, she's still up. Actually, usually she's already in bed uh, okay. by this point. We're we're coming up on eleven o'clock here in the the middle of the United States. And so now's a good time to wrap it up. The email yep. address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, market uh, insights, and your memories of 2008, 2012, 2003, or just any ideas or su- suggestions for the podcast is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors, at least, and of course it's usually more than this, but at least one mass every single day, whether mm-hmm. people are present or not. Uh, and of course, every week at least, uh, or it's at least, or is it definitely one for now? Every week there's a requiem mass for everybody who died the previous week, regardless it's of whether- It's just one. It's just one. Okay. Yeah. Regardless of what the medical examiners are coding it for financial reasons, yep. the, the, there is a requiem being said, please pray for these priests. They are humans. They are subject to COVID cold and things more dangerous or less dangerous, depending on your point of view. Um, and certainly Satan is after them as well. Um, and in some cases, their bishops probably could be after them. You, you, uh, yeah. never, you never know who's, who's their real problem here. Please pray for them because they have a lot of problems, far more than we average human beings, civilians in the church militant uh, have to deal with. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or in previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com slash donate for the mailing address where you can send a donation. And that's what James, Marty, and Rick did. Thank you very much. And I'll let you wrap up with the Matthew 1720. I will, but first I want to just say thank you to everybody who's donated to me through the continue to give button and continue to give continues to function perfectly, no interruption whatsoever. And thank you so much for, for everybody who's, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to mention this. It seems so crass in this environment when people are losing their jobs and people who are still in the stock market and they look at their 401ks and it's, it's dropped by 30%, 40%, 50%, whatever it is for me to even discuss money is just, you know, the epitome of crassness. It feels, it seems to me, but I just I want to reiterate and say thank you so much to everybody um, for your continued support for the you know new donors who have come on board within the last couple of weeks and and um, I just the 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 gratitude is is eternal and yes the snail mail as long as the U.S. Post Office is still functioning um, my snail mailbox is still being checked and um, like I said continue to give is continuing on like a champion no interruption there and thank you thank you thank you thank you the Matthew seventeen twenty intention is fourfold it is of course that. Um, the Bergolian anti-papacy be um, publicly recognized and acknowledged for what it is, um, and that anti- the anti-papacy come to an end and Bergoglio be removed, that, um, that it be publicly recognized that um, Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger has been the one and only living Pope, whether he likes it or not, nonstop since April of 2005, that Bergoglio Google seems to recognize that fact. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. We should link to that too. Yeah, yeah. If you if you go to Google and type in Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, it says what it? it says Vicar of Christ, right? No, it says um, head of the papal states. Head of the or yeah, head, head so- of the sovereigns, City. sovereign of the of Vatican City. And if you type in uh, Pope Francis or Jorge Bergoglio or either one, it's just blank. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, Petition number three is that Bergoglio repent, 
revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time. We're not praying for him to die. We're praying for him to die in the state of grace in the fullness of time as we would want exactly for ourselves and someday achieve the, the beatific vision. And likewise that Pope Benedict Ratzinger, um, repent of anything that he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. It has to be all four of those. It has to be a complete unwinding. Don't shortchange, don't shortchange God in his omnipotence, and don't shortchange the Blessed Virgin in her, um, her power of intercession with her son. Absolutely. And, and like we said right at the very top of the podcast, um, well, by the time you listen to this, it won't be the feast anymore, but, uh, definitely the devotion to the tears and the sorrows of Mary, pray those seven Hail Marys, pray the rosary. I, I meant to chip in with this earlier, but Anne was on a, on a roll. So I didn't, <laughs> but, uh, the, the rosary is simultaneously one of the easiest and hardest, uh, devotions. It's, it's a, it, it's a wildly imperfect analogy, but it's like playing golf. You can never play a perfect game of golf. It's always going to be imperfect. There's always going to be things you can improve. Doesn't matter how good of how good of a rosary you pray, you can always do better. You're you're talking about the mysteries of, of the the life and the passion of Christ. Mm-hmm. You will you will never tap it out. So, exactly. Yep. <laughs> it's inexhaustible. And so, that's the, and that's the second promise. You will be enlightened about divine mysteries. So, you know, maybe you'll get more out of the rosary. There you go. Get her done. So until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 